Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Our question for today is a crucial one. Is repentance necessary for salvation? Tragically, a few years ago, 2009, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America voted that they will now ordain practicing homosexual pastors. The, in other words, you don't have to repent to be saved. And sadly, the United Church of Christ, the Presbyterian Church USA, and the Episcopal Church in America are doing the same thing. Since that horrible decision, gratefully, many people have left the ELCA Lutheran Church. You should too, if you're still in an ELCA congregation. I took a walk through St. Olaf College a few months ago, an ELCA Lutheran College. I saw a big sign up healthy homosexual relationships seminar and all the students were invited to it. Then, this last summer, 35,000 ELCA Lutheran teenagers went to New Orleans for their big teen convention. This should grieve you. Listen to this. This summer, 35,000 teenagers gathered for the ELCA Lutheran Youth Gathering. Speakers with radical theology addressed the teenagers. One was Pastor Andrina Ingham, who distributed condoms in her church with the words associated with the Lord's Supper, this is my body given for you, this is a condom given for you, use it. Another speaker was Pastor Nadia Boltz-Weber, who promotes same-sex unions and last year presided over a name-changing ceremony for a woman who changed her sex. And now that he, she person is on their way to becoming an ELCA pastor. Amanda Nelson, a lesbian who is on her way to becoming an ELCA pastor, represented her Lutheran seminary at the youth gathering, and she wrote this. I attended the national gathering, uh, etc. The significance of a queer woman representing an ELCA seminary has not passed me by. Every night there has been a speaker that has spoken for the need of the inclusion and empowerment of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgendered people to the teenagers. Persons such as presiding bishop Mark Hansen, who's very liberal. Uh, it's been amazing to see the response from the young people. 35,000 young people from around our nation erupting in applause at the mere mention of LGBT inclusion. I've been speechless. I've had tears running down my face. I've sat back in awe. I've been so incredibly grateful that the decision the ELCA made years ago has finally experienced, we've experienced such an explicit welcome, a welcome extended to every queer identified person. Ay, ay, and the ELCA and the PCUSA Presbyterians and the United Church of Christ and the Episcopalians are saying, you don't need to repent. We're saved by grace, so you can still live the homosexual lifestyle. You can get an abortion. Hey, we're saved by grace. Is it true 
For I believe we're saved by grace alone, not by our good works. That's biblical. Is it true, therefore, you don't have to repent? We're going to find out what the answer to that is by going to a man by the name of John the Baptist. Would you take out your Bible? Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 3, and let's discover, because we're saved by grace alone, does that mean repentance is unnecessary? Let's see what we learn. Let's pray first. Oh, Father, we want to pray for people watching this show that have not yet left uh, erring denominations for a good denomination. Lord, there are good alternatives for Episcopalians, Lutherans, Presbyterians. There are good branches of those denominations left. We would pray that these churches that have gone astray would repent, but it doesn't look like they're going to, so we pray that you empty them out and move people into good churches. And God, speak to each of us now personally about our need for repentance. In Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 1. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was the tetrarch of Abilene, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John the Baptist. So it's about 30 A.D., let me tell you two lessons I learned from all those difficult names. <laughs> Number one, Christianity is an historical religion. It's based on historical facts. You know, that's not true in Buddhism. If you say to a Buddhist, I don't think Buddha really ever existed, he would say, it doesn't matter if Buddha existed. It's the teachings of Buddhism that matter. But you say that to a Christian, if Jesus didn't literally get born, live the perfect life we couldn't, if he didn't die to pay for our sins and rise from the dead historically, our religion's a sham. So our religion is rooted in history, and if it isn't, it's a joke. But the, the second thing I learned from all those difficult names is this. Sometimes God lets evil men rule. The, the, the villains in the Gospel of Luke are going to be Pontius Pilate, the governor, it's going to be King Herod, the king, and it's going to be Caiaphas, the high priest three evil men, and eventually some of them will kill Jesus. The question is, God, why do you allow evil people to rule? Why do you allow a Hitler or a Mussolini? Lord, why do you now in America give us a pro-abortion, a pro-homosexual marriage president? Why does God allow this? Well, I think the biblical answer is, you get the government you deserve. This happened to the Jews in the Old Testament. They kept going after idols. So in 586 B.C., God brings in the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, to invade and enslave the Jews. And they got the government they deserved. Sometimes the reason God gives us evil government is to discipline us and to open our eyes to see we need to repent. I hope that happens in America. All right, so the year is about 30 A.D., at this point in history, the bad guys are ruling Palestine, but let's see what happens next. Verse 2. In the reign of uh, Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John the Baptist, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Here's the next lesson. Sometimes, uh, well, no, let me say this first. Let's not skip over this. It says, the word of God came to John the Baptist. 
Those are huge words. Don't skip over those words. Do you know about the 400 years of silence between the Testaments? The last book of the Old Testament was Malachi, written about 400 B.C. Then there's 400 years of silence until about 30 A.D. Now the word of the Lord came to John the Baptist, and God broke his silence of 400 years by sending John the Baptist to preach. Huge, huge, huge thing that happened. So, so here's what I learned. Sometimes God is quiet for a long time. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you don't see God moving in your life at all, and you wonder, God, are you up there? And he is up there. He's just being quiet. And, you know, what I think God does when he's quiet, he's looking to see, will we follow and read his written word, or will we be looking for words of the Lord and visions all the time? You know, I believe God gives us words of the Lord. I believe God gives us prophets and, and, and visions and stuff. But normally he doesn't. Normally he's quiet, so we don't trust in visions or dreams or something. We're trusting only his written word. And let me say this, the written word of God takes precedence over any vision or dream. If you have an angel float into your bedroom tonight telling you to do something, check it out against the Bible. And if the angel is telling you something contrary to Scripture, that's not an angel. Because Paul the Apostle says Satan can appear as an angel of light. Satan can masquerade. So, you know, uh, what we need to do is concentrate. Do you read your Bible regularly? Do you believe it? 99% of the time, that's the way God's going to speak to you. Remember the Star Wars movie? Trust your feelings, Luke. My point right now is don't trust your feelings. Your feelings can lie. Here's a man who says to me, well, Pastor, I know you think sex outside of marriage is a sin, but uh, we're so in love. It feels so right. And I said, well, you know, you can jump off the IDS tower, and it'll feel good for a few seconds, but then you die. We are not to trust our feelings. Our feelings can lie. It's the Word of God that takes precedence over any feeling, dream, word of the Lord, or prophet. Now, here's the, the, the next question for today. If you have a loved one who is not a Christian, how will God maybe save that person? Well, we're going to see now there are four things God uses to save people. Pray these for your loved ones. Number one, look at uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 3. He, and John the Baptist came into all the district around the Jordan River preaching. The first thing God uses to save people is preaching. I'm a preacher. I think the most important thing I do is preach. I spend a lot of time preparing my sermons. I remember an old white-haired Lutheran pastor telling me when I was young, it's so much more important for a pastor to spend a lot of time preparing a sermon than counseling people. Because if you preach sermons properly and the people get it, they won't need counseling. So if you're a preacher, make sure you prepare your sermons. I went to a sermon this weekend. I don't think the guy prepared at all. He just got up and talked. No, we need to preach biblical prepared sermons. Again, 400 years of silence, and God finally wants to recommunicate with this planet. What does he do? He sends John the Baptist, a preacher. John preached. Jesus preached. The 12 apostles preached. Uh, for 2,000 years, God has sent preachers. So one thing, if you want your family to be saved, pray. God, send them to a good church where they'll hear the gospel and be saved. I have a brother that I don't think ever goes to church. He never sits under biblical preaching, and his lifestyle shows it. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. 
Uh, let me tell you what I do. I encourage you to do it. Almost every Saturday, I get on my knees and I pray for the preaching of the gospel around the world. Lord, uh, may your Holy Spirit fill preachers and Sunday school teachers and small group leaders. Lord, may the gospel of Christ be gloriously preached. And then I pray for my family and I list my family and my friends. Get, get my brother, get my sister, get, get these people into good churches where they'll hear the gospel and be saved. Because the first way God uses to save people is preaching. Second way God saves people, Luke 3, verse 3, John the Baptist came preaching a baptism. Second thing God used us to save people is baptism. Now, I know this can be abused. Some lady comes up to me, Pastor Brock, I was so angry. My uncle was a godless man, never went to church, had no relationship with God, but the priest put him in heaven at the funeral because he was baptized as a baby. Is that right, Pastor Brock? And I said, no, that is not right. Jesus said, he who endures to the end shall be saved. Baptism is the beginning of Christian life. It's not the end. And if all you had was baptism and then spent the rest of your life rejecting Christ, you're not saved. So I know this baptism can be abused, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Baptism is a wonderful thing. It's a big deal in the New Testament. They're always baptizing people in the book of Acts because God uses baptism to save people. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21, baptism now saves you, it says. Uh, look at Titus chapter 3, through the washing of regeneration, we are saved. Uh, Acts chapter 2, God gives us the Holy Spirit through baptism. So here's my point. Don't overdo the importance of baptism. It's not your immediate automatic ticket. Hitler was baptized. Mussolini was baptized. We don't think they made it. But don't underdo the importance of baptism. Through baptism, we receive the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. Just wonderful things happen in baptism. If you've never been baptized, start going to a good church and say, Pastor, I need to get baptized. Because God uses baptism to save people. Third thing that God uses to save people. Luke 3, 3, John came preaching a baptism of repentance. The third thing God uses to save people is repentance. Now, what is repentance? Well, I'm going to read the next verses, and twice a word pops up that defines repentance. See if you can catch it. Luke chapter 3, verse 4. As is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Did you catch it? There was one word that popped up twice and it's the word straight. Here is the definition of repentance. Repentance is making crooked things straight. Let me repeat that. Repentance is making crooked things straight. Repentance is not wishing they were straight. Repentance is not being sorry they're not straight. Repentance is making crooked things straight. I'll give you an example. When I was 17 years old, one of my first jobs, I sold toys at Montgomery Ward's toy department in Omaha, Nebraska. They promised me a raise. They never gave it. So one day I stole some merchandise, about $20 worth of stuff. Didn't feel guilty at all. Went to college. Three years later, I'm at this, sitting in this Christian seminar, and the preacher says, you know, if you've stolen money, as a Christian, you should re, uh, reimburse it. And boom, the guilt hit. And I asked God to forgive me. Now, were crooked things straight? Not yet. 
So I went home to Omaha, <laughs> I went to Montgomery Ward with $20, and I went into the headquarters, and I said to the secretary, you know, I, my name's Tom Brock, I used to work here, and I stole, so here's the money. No, no, we need to get the manager. <laughs> and I started sweating, and the manager comes in, I, my name is Tom Brock, and I gave him the money, and he looks at me, and he says, you must be religious or something. And I said, well, I'm a Christian, and he said, my parents are Christians. And, and you could tell what I had done did something to him. <laughs> so you know what? Uh, repentance is not hoping they're straight or being sorry they're not. It's also making things straight. So here's a, a young woman. Her father sexually abused her as a child. Her father goes to church regularly. And I said to her, did he ever apologize to you for what he did? And she said, no. And I, I'm thinking, Dad, go to church all you want. Until you apologize, crooked things are not straight. I mean, I, I was worshiping in a church service uh, some time ago, and while we're worshiping, it comes thundering into my head, that joke you made earlier this week really hurt that woman. And I was, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Were crooked things straight? Not yet. And that week, I went to the woman, look, when I made that joke, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? So repentance is not just hoping things are straight, or it's making things straight. Maybe you need to write a check and reimburse some money that you've taken from someone. Maybe you need to go apologize to someone. That's called repentance. And let me just say this too. Sometimes the whole church is crooked and needs to be set straight. I have a friend who was a Lutheran pastor in a small town in Minnesota. The president of the congregation's daughter was living in sin with her boyfriend in the house next door to the church. Everybody knew about it. Well, this pastor friend of mine went to them privately and said, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 says fornicators don't go to heaven. I'm concerned about you. You really shouldn't take communion until you repent of this. Well, the next Sunday they came up for communion. And he leaned down and quietly said to them both, have you repented? And they lied and said yes. And the young woman is crying as she goes back to her pew. Well, you know what happened? The people of that church got mad at the pastor. Nobody should leave the communion table crying. And I heard that and I thought, why not? If you're living in sin, you should have tears of repentance. Well, that church made things so miserable for that pastor, he eventually left. You know, and that's what's tragic about what the ELCA Lutherans, the Presbyterian Church USA, the United Church of Christ have done. They've said, you don't need to repent to be saved. And that's a damnable lie. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, read it. All right, back to the original question. Can you be saved without repentance? The answer is no, you need to repent to be saved. And you could say, well then pastor, we're not saved by grace alone. We also have to do something, we have to repent. And my response is no, you're still saved by grace alone because do you know who gets credit for your repentance? <laughs> the Holy Spirit. If you read Acts chapter 5 verse 31, Acts chapter 11 verse 18, 2 Timothy 2.25, those verses teach repentance is not something I do. I'm too weak, I'm too sinful. Repentance has, happens when the Holy Spirit comes into my heart and the Holy Spirit works in me repentance, so God even gets credit for my repentance, so salvation is still 100% the grace of God. I mean, I heard somebody say once, and it makes great sense, we are saved by grace alone, but grace never is alone. It always changes the human heart. I'm not talking about perfection. We won't be perfect till we're in heaven. We'll be struggling with sin till we die. But have you repented? Is the direction of your life, we're talking about direction, not perfection. Is the direction of your life toward Christ? Then you're saved. If you have no repentance in your life, then you haven't been saved by the grace of God alone because we're saved by grace alone, 
but it never is alone. It always changes a life. So uh, let me just uh, 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 summarize this. If you have a loved one who isn't saved, pray they get a good preacher. Uh, Pray that God will get them baptized if they're not. Uh, Pray that they will repent. The last thing God uses to save people is the last thing John did. Uh, Luke 3, verse 4, John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The last thing God uses to save people is the forgiveness of sins. That's how he saves us. He doesn't look and see how good you are, bad you are. He just forgives your sins. That's the way you're saved. So get under a good, and pray this for your family. Lord, may my sister start going to a good biblical church instead of the United Church of Christ. (laughs) Not that there aren't some good UCC churches, but overwhelmingly they've left the Bible. Number two, God, I pray that you'll get them baptized. Number three, I pray that they'll repent. Give them your Holy Spirit because they can't do that on their own. And, And number four, God, forgive their sins. That's the way we are saved according to the, the, the book of Luke. Can you be saved without repentance? No. We're saved. We need to repent to be saved, but even that's a gift of God, so he still gets all the credit. We're saved 100% by the grace of God. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of Scripture and insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you said that sometimes God lets evil men rule. Is that what's happening in America right now? Well, in 1973, the Supreme Court decided unrestricted abortion now in America. I don't think people know this. You can have an abortion when you're eight months pregnant. Did you know that? I mean, there's not restrictions on abortion. Very few states have restrictions. So we've had that evil ruling sitting on America for 40 years now. And... um, I'm sad about our last elections. Now we're going to have recreational marijuana use in the state of Washington. We have four states, including our own beloved Minnesota, that have opened the door to homosexual marriage, four more states. And now we have a president who's got a 100% pro-abortion voting record. He also now is promoting homosexual marriage. I'm grieved, Jackie, by what's happened to our nation. Are evil people running things? We're all evil. I understand that. I'm a sinner too. But now we have people that just just spit in the face of godly morals. I, I'm concerned about what's going to happen to this nation. Okay, but you talked about it. It's happening in the church too. So are, do we have evil people ruling oh, in the church? That's even worse. We've got bishops in the Lutheran church, in the Episcopal church, that are thumbing their nose at the word of God. And, and you know the good news, one of the most liberal denominations, Jackie, is the Episcopal Church in America. Listen to this. The Episcopal Church headquarters is now put up for sale. Uh, it, they, had a, they had a convention this summer. They had two different headlines. Episcopalians endorse transsexual cross-dressing pastors. And the other headline was, the Episcopalians vote to sell their headquarters. Um, last, the last few years, the Episcopal Church had to cut their budget, lay off staff. In addition, they've lost over 300 congregations. Their membership has plummeted by half. That's a lot. It's a lot, and they had this expensive headquarters in New York. Now they've got to sell it. Hallelujah, they've got to sell it. I don't want my family or friends to go. I mean, again, there are some good Episcopal churches that are still in the Episcopal Church, but not many. You've got to hunt them down, and, and God bless those Episcopalians that have left the Episcopal Church in America and have joined, I think they call it the Orthodox Episcopal Church, something like that. There are good alternatives. Again, I'll say a lot of people watching this show go to an ELC, a Lutheran church. 
sorry, I know you love the people and you've been there for 50 years and that's where your friends are. I wouldn't give a penny to the ELCA. Join some good uh, Missouri Synod Lutheran Church or a Lutheran Free Church. There's good alternatives out there. But I wouldn't support this thing that, that is defying the Word of God. Okay. Pastor Brock, you talked about the importance of preaching, but how does a person find a church that is preaching what it should? Yeah. You know, I get this question a lot. How do you know if it's a good church? And I think it's easy. I really do. Jackie, you, you go to a church and you listen to the sermon and uh, if something smells funny, it doesn't sound biblical, that's your main key. But often the sermon does not show off what the pastor believes. So you got to just, you know, shake hands and say, Pastor, can I just have three minutes of your time? I'm looking for a church. Can I ask you just five questions? Number one, do you believe the Bible is the infallible Word of God? Number two, do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? Number three, Pastor, do you believe there's a heaven and a hell? A lot of pastors don't believe in hell anymore. Number four, Pastor, uh, tell me your views on abortion, homosexuality, premarital sex. Actually, those are the only four I can think of. But those four questions, if you get good, clear, biblical answers, you want to go to that church. If you get, well, that's complex. Christians differ on these things. Well, then you want to find a better church. Okay, now you said that we're saved by grace alone mm -hmm. and not our good works. Mm -hmm. Then why are you saying it's necessary for us to repent? Okay, uh, I'm going to quote the verse here. This is Paul the Apostle. And remember, Paul the Apostle was the champion of the teaching, we're saved by grace alone, not by good works. He also says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Do not be deceived. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor robbers, nor revivers, revilers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. So here's Paul, who preaches or say by grace alone, not good works, but also saying if you're living in a penitent sin, you're not going to heaven. That's because Paul believed in amazing grace, not puny grace that doesn't change you. He believed in amazing grace that actually changes the human life. And Jackie, we all sin and struggle with sin as, as mature Christians, but it's a there's a difference between living in impenitent sin and sinning and repenting and getting back with the Lord. If you're living in it, Paul would say you're not saved by grace alone. So, Pastor Brock, what happens when a per person is baptized? Mm-hmm. Uh, good. Uh, five things. Okay. <laughs> uh, the Bible says, be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you receive the Holy Spirit. It says in the book of Acts, be baptized, calling on his name, washing away your sins. So we, we get our sins washed off. People say, yeah, but why baptize babies then? Because they don't have sin. Oh, yes, they do. We're all born in sin. Romans chapter 5, we all inherited sin from Adam and Eve. So we get our sins washed off. We receive the Spirit. It says we were baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. What truly saves us ultimately is Jesus' death on the cross. But through baptism, we get baptized into that. Four things that happens in baptism. So we get in baptism, you get your sins washed off. You get the Holy Spirit. You get Jesus put on. It says in Colossians, as many of you were baptized have put on Christ. So those are some of the blessings. Well, we're out of time. We'd like to go further with this, yeah. but thanks for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. 
You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.